So again, a very happy Father's Day to all fathers. And uh, the other day, my nephew actually came here to Mass, and I talked to him after Mass about my homily, and I thought in my homily I had a funny joke, uh, but he thought differently. I said, you know, how did you like that joke? And he said, oh, Uncle Nick, you have to stop telling all these dad jokes. So as any of you, I think might, some of you will know, dad jokes are kind of a little corny, kind of not, not too funny. However, today is Father's Day, or tomorrow rather, so I think I'm at liberty to tell a few dad jokes today. So I went online and actually found what are considered to be some of the best dad jokes. All you dads out there might want to get your pen and paper out so you can write these down to tell later. So, singing in the shower is all fun and games until you get shampoo in your mouth. Then it's a soap opera. (laughs) Nice, huh? They get better. Dogs can't operate MRI machines, but cats can. (laughs) Terrible. What do you call an illegally parked frog? Toad. I know. But we love our fathers. And fathers, of course, reveal to us something very important about the heart of God. And fathers, I think when you see fathers, obviously our own fathers, we see that their children are very precious to them, very special to them. And this, I think, is something that comes across so clearly in the readings today, that we, each and every one of us, are precious to God. And also, maybe people that we don't like so much are also precious to God. This comes across very clearly in the first reading today from the book of Exodus, that we all are very precious to God, who is our Father. So in the first reading today from the book of Exodus, we hear about when God is making a covenant with the people of Israel. And God, in making this covenant, certainly gives them commands, and they agree to do certain things. But it's very interesting to hear how God describes the people of Israel, what kind of people he wants them to be. So he calls them a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and his special possession. That word special possession is a very interesting word. And I had a professor when I was studying Bible who really focused on this word. In Hebrew, the word is segola, segola. And we see in translations is oftentimes special possession. But he went on at lengths, perhaps two great lengths, to argue that this word doesn't really mean special possession, but jewel a jewel, something very, very precious, something kind of priceless to God. So we then ultimately are God's jewel. Each and every one of us are precious to God. And we can imagine, you know, we obviously have things precious to us, people precious to us, family and friends. But consider, I think each of us have things in our life that are precious to us. So maybe you could even think about that. What in your life is truly precious to you? You know, maybe it's some heirloom that was passed down throughout the family. We all have things that are precious to us, these segola, right? God sees us in this way. We're God's jewels. We're precious to God. We see this again in the responsorial psalm as well. God says that we are God's people, the flock he shepherds. We're God's possession. We belong to God. God is our Father and we're special, we're important to God. Ultimately, this incredible love that God has for each of us is revealed fully in the person of Jesus Christ. So we hear in the gospel today something very significant. 
Jesus does two things. First, Jesus looks out at the crowd and he's moved deeply by their suffering and the fact that they encounter difficulties. And then Jesus sends out his followers to do something about it. Let's first look at that first action in the gospel. Jesus looks at the gospel, at the people, at the crowd, and in English we read, he was filled with pity. This again is a famous word. The Greek here is esplanknithe. That's a, try saying that five times fast. Esplanknithe. So we translate that as pity, but it actually means in Greek, moved in his guts, moved in his interior, in his stomach. And this is a very interesting word. Jesus, we're told here in the gospel, he looks at the people and he feels so much pity, so much uh, love for them, wanting to do something, that he's moved interiorly. He kind of feels it. It's a very visceral word. We don't quite get it so much in the English here. But Jesus sees the suffering of the people. He wants to do something about it, and he's moved so greatly. This ultimately is a mystery that we focus on in this month of June. June is a month that's traditionally dedicated to the sacred heart of Jesus. And just yesterday, we celebrated the solemnity of the sacred heart of Jesus. And I I know this is one of the most popular um, kind of common devotions in the Catholic world. I have to admit, when I was younger, I found it a bit strange. You know, you'd look at these images of Jesus and his heart is sort of on fire, you know, or sometimes he's holding his heart. There's flames on it. It's pierced. And I'd look and I'd say, what is going on here? You know, like, what is this about? It seemed a bit strange to me when I saw this. But I see really now in this devotion how profound it is that devotion to the sacred heart really is all about the consideration of this incredible love that Jesus has for us. This love that when he looks at us, when he sees our suffering, something is moved within his heart. He's moved in his guts to want to help us, to want to do something for us. And I really came to understand and appreciate better the devotion to the sacred heart when I learned more about when it developed, like in the context in which the sacred heart arose, devotion to the sacred heart, because it came at a very important time in church history. So many of us will know that the sacred heart devotion is associated or was kind of one of the first proponents of it in an important way was St. Margaret Mary, a French uh, sister, a visitation nun, who in the 1670s had a number of visions about Jesus and the way Jesus revealed himself to her was this sacred heart, his love, his devotion for his people. And St. Margaret Mary was tasked for letting people know about this devotion to the sacred heart. And it came about, I said, in a very important time in church history, because in France, especially where and when Sister Margaret Mary was active, there was an incorrect way of thinking about God that was very common that is called Jansenism. And Jansenism is this idea, or it was kind of a way of talking about Christianity that kind of taught that people are completely unworthy in God's eyes. They emphasized, we could say overemphasized, our sinfulness, our sense of unworthiness around God, that we can never be truly acceptable to God. And Sister Margaret Mary, Jesus visited her and gave her a message that really corrected that. In the sight of this, we are in fact loved by God, we're acceptable by God, we're certainly called to grow, but Jesus loves us, he's with us. So this devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus arose at a time really when people had great doubts, perhaps, or fears of God, that they were truly loved by God. So the sacred heart of Jesus reveals to us this incredible love that God has for each one of us, that we are God's jewels, we are God's possessions.
He is with us and he loves us. The second move in the gospel is very important, however. Jesus, we see, is moved with great pity for the people. He sees their suffering and he sees their pain. And what does he do? Well, he calls to himself 12 apostles and he sends them out to help the people. We ultimately are called to imitate this love of the sacred heart of Jesus. We're called to ultimately go out and continue this mission of Christ. I had a teacher at the seminary when I was here in Vancouver, an older monk, uh, who liked to say this prayer, and it's associated with the sacred heart of Jesus. He'd pray it oftentimes at the start of each class. It goes like this. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine. So some of you might have heard this prayer, but I, I really came to like it because it teaches us how we're called to imitate that sacred heart of Jesus, that we see that Jesus loves all of us. We are special to God. We are God's jewels. And we too need to see that in other people. So I'd like to just kind of leave us with a couple questions to reflect upon this evening about how our lives might change if we believe two important truths that we have been discussing this evening, if we really, really believe them deep in our hearts. So if I really believe that God sees me as his jewel, that I am precious to God, and imagine again something in your life that's incredibly precious, family, right? Friends, maybe some other heirloom that means so much to you. God sees us as so much more precious than this. If I believe this, how would my relationship with God change? It's kind of the first question. And the second, again, is that second movement in the gospel. If I believe that God views other people in this way, all people, even those that I might not like very much, imagine now, for example, someone who causes you difficulty, struggle, who frustrates you, who you can't really stand too much, what would change in your life if we truly believe? What would change in my life if I truly believe that that person was God's jewel, that that person was precious to God and beloved by God? So we pray then this evening that this sacred heart of Jesus will transform us, that we will know truly the love that Christ has for each of us, and we may communicate that love to others. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine.